Hi, welcome to Out of the Box Stories. I'm your host, Alice of Paradise. Our guest is Annie Bevan. Annie is the owner, founder, and CEO of SMS Collaborative, also known as SMSC, as well as the CEO of Mindful Materials. Annie and I met quite a few years ago when we first started working on the ACT label. Annie has an extensive background in third-party verifications and sustainability consulting, and she was absolutely the most perfect person to help us figure out how to verify all of the sustainable attributes that we wanted to understand for different laboratory products. As you'll hear in the podcast, it took quite a while for us to actually connect and to create the ACT program as you all know it, but when we finally did, it was absolute magic. Annie and I discuss a bit of the story of the ACT label, and Annie shares her wisdom on what business can look like. Being the CEO of both a nonprofit and a for-profit company, Annie has a very unique perspective that she brings to how could a business be run in a way that's really beneficial and collaborative for everybody involved. We then switch from there to something Annie mentioned one of the first times I met her about wanting to do the Great Loop, which is a boat tour through Canada and the United States. She shares why that trip excites her so much and what about that adventure would be meaningful for her. And in sharing this, she really gets at the heart of something fundamental, I think, for all of us about why it's so important that we connect with each other and what we can gain from those connections. Annie joined me from her home in Wayne, Pennsylvania, just before the holidays. Hi, Annie. Hi, Al. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm doing good. Great to be here today. It's so great to have you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I was so excited when you were doing this podcast because I couldn't think of a better person to do a podcast for My Green Lab than you. So thanks for having me. Aw. I was going to say I can't think of a better person to have on this podcast than you, but I have had other people. Yeah. <laughs> there have been phenomenal other people on sharing so many cool things. So glad to be here to share. But you are one of the best people to have on it. So thank you for being here. Yay. <laughs> so would you mind letting people know how you are associated with the Green Labs community? Sure. I am a part of the Green Lab community as the CEO of SMS Collaborative. So I worked in collaboration with my Green Lab to create the ACT standard and label, which is the first eco-label in the life science industry to actually uh, score the sustainability of equipment, chemicals, and consumable products. So it's been awesome to see the ACT label and standard evolve. I think I saw a projection of 3,500 labels for 2023 in the works. So certainly grown since day one. And um, it's been amazing to see so many manufacturing organizations go through this audit process and then use it as a means to get better. So so that's that was why we created it. So I'm really excited to, to see that happening. So you said that all very succinctly. 
Would you mind giving a bit more detail and maybe a bit about your background and and how this whole thing came to be? Sure. So I've been involved in the sustainability industry for about 20 years now. 20 years? uh, I know. I think. Really? 17. 17. I I round it up. I round it up. Yeah. Pretty sure. So. I always think it's so much less than that. But yeah. Wow. We always forget our, we already forget our ages. Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's been that long. And uh, I got a a great job right out of school running a third-party certification company and got a ton of experience learning how to look at a manufacturing process and understand how multiple things are made and also understand the standards industry and, and know how to, you know, of integrity, help organizations make sustainability claims that were in alignment with those standards and then also have played a role in the creation of many other eco-labels, particularly in the built environment. So I have a pretty significant background in third-party verification. I've also done a lot of work as a traditional sustainability consultant, helping organizations with sustainability reporting and strategy and planning and uh, execution. So uh, I feel like all of those, that background has had culminated to create an amazing partnership. Uh, you know, Al, you and I met, what, 2016? Yeah, 2016. 2016. And I don't know, we, we came together and I think we, we used the power of both of our brains to create something pretty incredible when it came to the ACT label and the ACT standard. So yeah, that's, that's my background. And I think what had gone into helping us to support the creation of a pretty amazing uh, verification process. Which really you created. Well, I would, we, we were the person, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I had done a lot with the label before we met, but it wouldn't have happened without you. In fact, I can't really remember how did, how did we meet? How did I know about you? Because for years I wanted to work with you because I knew you were the right person to help with the verification guide and doing all the auditing, but... I don't remember how we met. Megan Mountainfort. Oh, yeah. She was at VWR. That's right. Megan introduced us. And then from there on, I knew we just had to work together. And so I kind of stalked you for three years, asking you continuously, hey. I I don't know why it took so long. but (laughs) I don't either. Had to get – it was about timing, I think. And it was perfect timing. Match made in heaven. So. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It did have a lot to do with timing. It took a while for the label really to find its version. And then once it did, you were right there and ready to start working together. I still was very eager, though, to get started on this program. And that's why I kept knocking on your door. I think the first two companies, I still have the NDAs that we had signed to try to work together. But then you started SMS Collaborative right as we were creating the ACT label. Was that difficult, starting the business and trying to work on the ACT label together? No, but what's so cool about this work, and I guess the way I think about it is, it's all about connecting dots, and it's so interesting to see when you think about it in the bigger picture, all of this work goes to support the work of the other work, if that makes any sense. So 
when I was starting my own business, I was also working at the United States Green Building Council, creating the LEED standard, and was also working with the International Living Future Institute, helping to expand the role of sustainable materials um, in the industry of the built environment. And so all of that is sort of similar. It's standards development, it's community-based, and, and building a community of people that all care about the same thing, want to know how to take action, you know, creating peer-to-peer connections, and then creating methods for people to, to, to do something. And so I created my business, but it's all doing the same thing, which is, which is really cool, just in different little different ways. As you describe all this, it's so obvious why you were the perfect person to create the verification guide for the ACT standard. I'm curious, why did you decide to start a company? Yeah, a lot of people ask me that question, you know, how did you do it? Why, why did you do it? And it definitely doesn't come with not a lot of hard work. And, you know, I'm stupid, but I think of that stupid poster that you see sometimes, like the glacier and like what people see is that tiny top of success. And then below the water is like this mountain of like incredible, painstaking work and politics navigation and, like, uh, you know, setting up the structure of business and, and then finding that first employee and then getting somebody convinced enough to work with you because you have the credibility and showing them why um, and then building off of that. So it's all about, I think, finding the right partners in the right way, you know, making sure that, you know, I really care about making sure that there's a win-win business scenario and anybody that I'm engaging in business with and seeing that both of our businesses and the people that are within it are successful. And that's something that really matters to me. And I see that as the basis of the ACT program, actually. Like you and I came together and we just knew that we were going to be here and trust each other and support each other. And I think that that's honestly what it takes to create something amazing is a little bit of trust and um, some, you know, incredible, uh, you know, background and skill set and knowledge. But it really does it really does take a leap of faith sometimes in in another person and, and connecting with that person to see that be successful. And not just trust in each other, but also trust with the manufacturers who came on for the pilot. S- same thing, right? So, I mean, gosh, Barbara and Priorclave and Lori from Thermo and Amelia from Thermo, uh, Jan from Eppendorf, and all of them are still involved in this program still and still providing some incredible products to get audited, but also get incredible feedback. We've been continuously improving the ACT uh, verification process by by continuous learning and continuous engagement with the community and organizations. We haven't had many overlapping products. So every time we do a new product and a new product category, we're essentially making sure that product category can be evaluated the same way every single time. Um, but, you know, comparing a freezer to a uh, centrifuge, you can't. So it's like that's a different verification every time. And so my team is really committed to making the ACT verification process authentic and of integrity so that it is compared. It is the same process every single time for that product category um, and across all products that we're verifying. You say it like it's such an easy thing, but the truth is, this is for me what was the hardest thing to work out. How do you figure out a way to communicate sustainable attributes for products as disparate as something like a freezer or a centrifuge tube or a chemical? It's not trivial, and I think you've done a 
absolutely phenomenal job in sorting through all of that so that things can just be distilled down to a number to make it very, very easy and accessible for people to understand what is the environmental impact of this product. That whole process was not and is not easy to develop and to create and to keep refining. No, it's not. And I think you remember, I, I really appreciated you as, as my guide in some ways. You have such a vast experience in the life science industry and, you know, you, you know the community so well. And I think you really brought a lot of value there. If you remember the first conference I went to with you and I looked like a deer, deer in headlights <laughs> in some ways, because the, there is a, such a difference, a vast difference of the built environment to the life science industry and life science industry is full of PhD neuroscientists and uh, the built environment's not. Uh, also very smart people, but just in a different way. Having to, you know, intelligently defend the, the realities of, of the nuances of the standard when we first created it was challenging. But I think people realized that you and I had put a lot of thought and intentional thought behind rigor and authenticity and integrity of why the scores were the way they were, and also listened uh, to feedback, which was a lot um, when, it, when it first got started. But I think it really gave us a really fantastic foundation for a program that can be very meaningful to create large-scale impact, which was the whole goal uh, of the program to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it really has. This community is so amazing for how much it's embraced this idea around creating sustainable products and trying to reduce our environmental impact. And the way that they've used the ACT label, both manufacturers and people in procurement and scientists, in order to keep driving down the environmental impact of products is just, it's incredible. Right. I think we put a lot of intentional thought on the recertification process as well. So giving people two years to really take the results of the audit process, understand why they scored a certain way, be able to reevaluate. And it takes time in a manufacturing operation to do things. So reflecting how hard it is to change a supplier or implement an energy savings uh, opportunity, uh, giving the space to do that, but using the ACT program as a means to set that continuous improvement reality. And we have started to see with the recertifications that we're doing, and we, we are nearly at 100% recertification rate, which is so exciting, but the scores are going down uh, every time we recertify, which is just incredible uh, for us to see, which means manufacturers are actually using it as a means to, to reduce their impact. And I'd love to quantify that one day uh, to see you know how much carbon, how much energy, how much waste or what have you um, has been saved because of, because of that, this work. And Man, you came to me with like, do you know how much waste is being generated in labs? And I was like, no. And you're like, uh, you know, trillions of tons. And I think My Green Lab today has done a great job quantifying the carbon impact of, of the mm -hmm. lab space. And this is the ACT program is designed to help product manufacturers within the lab space reduce their impacts, which is amazing to start to see that come to fruition. Yeah, it really is. The Green Labs community is just so amazing to think how much the community has rallied around the idea of reducing the environmental impact of labs and specifically through the ACT label, 
by encouraging manufacturers to actually audit their products and look at the environmental impact of the things that they're selling, to people in procurement and scientists and purchasing things with reduced environmental impact. This wouldn't work without the whole community just really embracing this and how tremendous it is that they've done this, that we've all done this. I want to give a shout out to the Procurement 50 and the folks who are integrating ACT in, the, in their purchasing policies. We've actually recently, I was talking to Raj, who obviously leads the conversation on engaging manufacturers with the ACT program from the Migraine Lab side, and then SMSC verifies the work once they engage. Um, we're seeing manufacturers come to Migraine Lab now saying, hey, we've heard this from our customers. We need to do this. We know sustainability is a must-do. How do we do this? And that is then showing signs of this tipping point of really seeing this snowball roll down the hill to create more impact reduction uh, in the future. Wow. So we got to see those purchasing groups keep keep engaging because it really does matter if you're looking for a way to engage yourself and involve yourself in reducing the impacts of the life science industry. This is a, this is an, a great way to do it um, and you will see results. We launched this, I think it was 2018 when it formally launched. The pilot was 2017. But just to think all of this has happened in just five years, it's, it blows my mind. It's almost like imagine what it'll be like 10 years from now if this is the kind of momentum that we have as a community to actually do something to address the environmental impact of our products. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are used the first two years to just try and say, "Well, what the heck is this? This is not this is not normal for us. What's going on here?" <laughs> so, uh, but it's really great to see it getting the recognition it deserves, and uh, even now the work at, at Migraine Lab and its presence at COP twenty seven and ACT being presented at COP twenty seven as a means to support global climate change reduction. I think it's it's incredible, and the sky's the limit of where where this program can go now in the future. Mm -hmm. It seems like it. I completely agree. It's kind of funny in a way to think this label that I created on the beach in Santorini is now having such an impact. Have I ever told you about that? How the label was created on the beach in Santorini? <laughs> that sounds very much like an in alignment with an Alice in Paradise, a brilliant creation. So, uh, not surprised. I did. I did not. I did not know that. I know where the verification process was uh, created, which was a little bit more unique. But anyway, <laughs> I think you should share the story of how the verification guide came to be. We were engaging pilot partners, and I remember exactly where we were at the time. We were in Tennessee. Uh, in the Tennessee mountains, and we were in this place where seven states met. And if anybody's been there, it's very cool. Great little mountain view, little hike up. But then there is this wild other, I don't know, at, you kind of have to be on like mushrooms or something to, I think, thoroughly enjoy the experience. <laughs> but it was a whacked out <laughs> hike that I, the most wacky hike I've ever been on, though I've been on some wacky hikes with you. And we were, we were, it, you know, we were starting the pilot process. We knew we needed to get this verification process together. And so we were thinking, you know, how do we create the authenticity surrounding these scores? And I really think there's a lot of creativity that comes from just being outside of the office and the space and the open space. So I yes. think we really 
created the preliminary basis of, you know, the scoring methodology in that in that hike. And then from there, I got back to my computer and just wrote it down and started to create the actual verification process and the third party auditing process. So it was a really great, you know, start to start to that program. But it was uh, I've never seen anything quite like that again. So I, you know, if anybody's in the seven seven states region uh, where Tennessee and all those other states meet, uh, you can enjoy. Uh, don't tell us we didn't tell you so. Rock City. Rock City. That's what it was. Yeah. Rock yep. City. There's a gnome Christmas <laughs> scene. I'll just set the stage. So that was like the Twilight Zone. We were like, what are we doing here? <laughs> well, to be fair, I thought it was about rocks and I like rocks. Right, right. But you would not. assume it's like rocks in Rock City, but it is not. There is limited. There was some rocks. Yeah, like you would, you know, like rocks cut for that path and everything. But also gnomes in the rocks. So with under blacklight <laughs> singing songs. So anyway, uh that was fun. I've never been short of uh, hiking trips with you. We've had a lot of meetings. Sedona, I call it getting Allison for those that are listening. Just beware if you ever go on a hike with Allison. Make sure you bring <laughs> food and water. Prepare to engage with mountain lions. She has a agreement with them, but no one with her does. So just be aware. Uh, and also make sure that you are ready to hike 20 miles plus because you have the intent of hiking five, but it always turns out to be more than 20. So that's my advice. We can end the podcast now because I just wanted to share that with everyone in the world uh, <laughs> as a warning. So if Allison asks you to go for a hike, there will be amazing things that come out of it, but it will also be uh, a very trying, life-threatening journey at the same time. It sounds like you're describing though, just like all of life. Something that's incredibly amazing and also really trying and life-threatening. <laughs> it does. That small mountain lion growl at dusk where you were like, okay, time to go. And I was like, yes, it is. Time to go. I just didn't think it was going to be that long. So the first time this happened, I was thinking it wasn't going to be that long. But then when it happened for like the fourth <laughs> or fifth time, I just have grown to accept that I need to pack granola bars and <laughs> proper amounts of water for 20 miles. That's what I do to prepare for every hike with you now. <laughs> do you remember the hike we did in Muir Woods where you were looking at me and looking around and saying, but they have gear. I don't have gear. Why did you take me on this hike? It needs gear. <laughs> that was also the epitome of me starting my business. And I Certainly had not been hiking or or spending the time that I should be doing taking care of myself at the time, and that was that was a rough hike. And by the way, I've never been that out of shape after that because that was a really eye opening experience to me that I have to take time for myself at the same time. So, but yeah, everybody was also in gear, um, but usually I can handle it without gear. I love doing all of those hikes with you because we always. We're so creative in those spaces. And yeah, exhausted, but also really, really creative. I also just have to say that what I think you were talking about and asking me, like, how do you start a business? It does take a little bit of magic and you have to be so passionate about the cause and what you do. And what I really have appreciated about our partnership 
in the partnership with My Green Lab is that it is a group of people who are sincerely committed to make change in the world. And I think with the organization that you started at My Green Lab just has grown in that culture of bringing the community together and give people a place for a voice to, to take action. And these are tools and resources to be able to do that. But it really is incredible to see the magic start to expand and more and more people like it's a, it's a contagious magic at the same time. But it is, I don't know how else to describe it, but it is a little bit of magic that's needed to inspire and grow a community. So I, I think that that's why I think these hikes are important and the gnome cave Christmas scene was interesting is because it all is a little bit of magic and unusualness that that grows something incredibly powerful with a lot of work and intent. That was incredibly well said. Thanks. Yeah, exactly that. It does take a bit of magic. And I think when we're doing something that's so exciting for us and that we love to do, we channel a lot of the magic in us and then share it with other people. And that's how we can inspire people to do something different. Yeah. And then, you know, for all the slog that it takes to go through and the, the politics and the, the work work it takes to actually intently and rigorously review an audit, you, you, you never lose sight of that little glimmer, that, that light. And um, that's what keeps you going and disciplined and heads down and committed. And I see that in every single member of my team that conducts the audits for the ACT program. They are so passionate about this work and they love to engage with the manufacturing community because they also see a lot of committed manufacturers who have that glimmer of hope and magic. And this is their way to show some of the hard work that they're doing to, to the world. And then to have it received by purchasers in a thoughtful way that's what it's all about. And it is business, but it's also um, a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we somehow have this idea that business has to be a certain way. And it it doesn't have to necessarily be that way. It can be the way that you had described it earlier in this sort of win-win situation that we can all be uplifting each other using a container that we call business. It doesn't have to be used in a way that that hurts people or sidelines people or exploits or manipulates people. We created the concept of business. We can use that container however we want. I totally agree with you. And I've always appreciated that understanding in other business leaders when they when they understand that. And, you know, I see it when you go through negotiations and you, you see those that are only fighting for themselves and those that are fighting for somebody, something bigger. And there's ways to get things done that are very collaborative and supportive of each other. And there are ways where people are just, this is mine. And uh, that's never, never feel, fueling success. Um, and so how do we work within an abundance mindset and note that we are all working to create the change that we all want to see in this world and providing a platform for others to see the change that they want to see. And that is where movements happen and momentum happens is, is that supportive amplifying work. And that's why I think to your point of the win-win scenario with even engaging with the manufacturing community, we're, we're starting to see that, that happen, that momentum happen. I'm wondering, Annie, if this was a mindset you always had or if your involvement with nonprofits like My Green Lab and 
now mindful materials, if that's changed how you perceive or interact with people in a business setting, do you think the nonprofits have influenced that or do you think you just always had that in you, this understanding of, of being collaborative within a business environment? So Allison alluded to it. I'm also the CEO of a nonprofit called Mindful Materials. It's a organization, a nonprofit in the built environment that's seeking to see a world where every product and every project has a sustainability aspect to it to significantly reduce the holistic embodied impacts of the built environment through better materials decisions. So obviously there's line of sight and overlap in all of this work. Um, so, you know, I think you hear a lot of leaders and organization leaders talk about forever learning. I certainly was not the same person. If we look back to our first emails together, Al, of even the way I approached those emails, I'm not the same person I was then to who I am now. There has been such a tremendous amount of learning that I've had in the role at Mindful Materials. I've, I've loved the opportunity, one, because I'm so incredibly passionate about seeing uh, these impacts uh, come to fruition and seeing those manufacturers that have reduced their impacts see a successful return on investment for their investment by inspiring owners and architects to make better decisions, same application and act in the life science industry. But um, running a nonprofit is not easy. You and I have talked about that a lot now. And uh, it's a completely different business model than a for-profit. And I've loved having the ability to, to do both and um, learn about the realities of business and engage in very different types of negotiations and that business mentality. And it's really shaped, I think, me to be a better empathetic leader in all the roles that I play um, in the industry and really has helped me solidify who I am in business. Um, and that, I think, really helps me drive to be as successful and as supportive as a leader as I possibly can and, and lead with empathy. And I really, truly mean that because life's hard and it's been very hard for everyone uh, especially over the past three years, and it's not stopping <laughs> at this point in time. And so people have things that they have to deal with personally, and how can I make uh, all the businesses that I'm a part of be the bridge to the future, in which case work and life are combined in some way, because work is such a passion. Engaging in work is being a part of your moral compass in some way, and and then life is is also happening at the same time you're working. And so how do we create business models for that change and showing that you can still have a very successful, thriving business, um, but supporting employees to, to do what they need to do when they need to do it because uh, life happens and work doesn't have to be separate from life. It should be a part of life in a very thoughtful way. I don't know if that's what you were, I went, I went off there on a whole tangent. So, <laughs> but, but to answer your question, it's been so incredible to, to learn in all these, all these different hats. The way you approach business and the way you approach working with other people, it just, it's such a paradigm shift. It's such a completely different perspective. And I really appreciate your sharing that so people can hear that there are other ways and you're doing them. You're acting in a completely different way in this space. It's really, really powerful and very inspiring. It's understanding what's a distraction and what's not too. Like there's so many curveballs that just are shocking sometimes that thrown at you in these situations. And you're like, 
okay, and I have been working with you in some ways on how to best react to those situations, which is the only thing that we can control so that it is a less of an emotional reaction all, all the time and it doesn't stay with me as long as it used to and because they're going to keep happening and keep coming. I think you bring up a really interesting point here with distractions because distractions can serve multiple purposes. You know, sometimes we can be, there can be a distraction and its entire purpose is just to kind of test how much do you really want this thing? How badly do you want the thing that you want to create or the thing that you say that is most important to you? And the distraction will appear or an obstacle will appear almost as a test. And then in other cases, the distractions really are kind of along the path of the thing that it is that you're trying to create. And then it becomes an issue of trying to feel out, well, what is true? What is, what is in alignment? Where am I really meant to be going with this? And what is truly a distraction and what is actually something that I should be giving my attention to? And all of that, for me anyway, is something that requires an awful lot of feeling in the moment. Well, is this something I want to take in? Or is this something that is meant to just be emptying my energy and I should ignore? I think I spend an awful lot of time in that space of just feeling. How does this feel? Does this feel right? Does it feel off somewhere? What's the best course of action here? Always being guided by what's the mission? What is the purpose? What is it I'm actually trying to achieve? And I think it's, it's maybe a little bit different. It's definitely not so logiced. It's not, it's not a logical way of thinking and it's not it's not all in my head. It's mostly in my heart. Definitely have seen that and see that with mindful materials. And um, it's so true. And I love what you said about feeling your way through business. I feel like that's like almost like a like bad thing to say, feeling your way through business. Like uh, it's, you know, no, you have to say, think with logic and make sure that you are defending and, you know, uh, I don't think it needs to be that way. And I, I do think it's a, it does take a lot of feeling. It takes a lot of emotional capacity. It takes a lot of emotional intelligence. And it also takes a lot of forward thinking of just, okay, scenario playing out. And I think that's how you kind of start to pass some of these tests is by thinking about, okay, and I spend some probably too much time still thinking about these scenarios that are real or not real, but like, what are all the scenarios that can happen? And how will that affect this, this, and that, this to then, you know, ultimately see it. So this, whatever is being thrown at me feels part of the solution in some way, or, you know, uh, how best can we navigate this together is where it ultimately comes down to for me and my brain. But uh, there's a lot of feeling, a lot of feeling. You're absolutely right. That feeling seems like a dirty word in business. When you say I'm feeling this or it feels like this, people look at you very quizzically as if everything should be coming from a logical deduction. And then not that there's anything wrong with logically seeing things. It's just, it seems like those two things are meant to work together because you can logic your way into some really crazy spaces. I think we're seeing that now in the world. Like you can 
You can totally use logical thinking to get yourself into some place that's very far away from anything that feels real or true, actually, if you just sit with it for a minute. So true. And there's just a lot of fear to, that's a lot of feeling that I get sometimes. It's just like, oh boy, this happened. (laughs) What do I do? Oh my gosh, the world's ending. And then it's like, no, the world's not ending. Let's think about this and realistically approach. So there is feeling that is real, feeling that is bad, feeling that is good, but also then, you know, in influencing your thoughts in a really productive way. And I can say that right now, that's what I'm really working on in 2023 and beyond is how to be better at that because it, it just can kill, it can kill you at the same time. Mm-hmm. Especially that fear, that fear can really bring you into some, into some places that are very far away from where you want to go. So Again, that's why I think it's so important to be in touch with that because if you know that you're afraid of something, then you can kind of think, well, am I making this this move because I'm afraid or because it feels right? It can be really difficult and be a lot. Oh, uh, a lot. <laughs> but it's great to have uh, business partners like yourself and friends at this point in time, Al. Um, to be able to help you, that you someone that you trust, that you that you know knows what it's like to go through these things, to say, "Hey, <laughs> let's think about this." And you know, I feel like everybody needs that good support system in business. And you push people away too much; it's, you, you're never going to be successful to that level because it, can't imagine doing this alone. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah, I think it's a myth this idea that we do things on our own. We don't do anything on our own and certainly not starting companies. People used to say to me all the time, especially in the early days, I can't believe you're doing this on your own. And they would say that because I was the only person at my green lab, but I wasn't doing it on my own. I would have an idea and then I'd grab every person I could find who also thought it might be a good idea and ask them to be part of it. I can't do this on my own. It's impossible. We don't really do anything. Even hiking that we do alone isn't necessarily on our own. We're surrounded by nature. And we have support from the natural environment everywhere we go. So it's just a kind of a really interesting myth that we perpetuate for some reason. And this is why I wanted to work with you so badly. This is why I stalked you for three years because I knew I couldn't do the act label on my own. I don't know if by, you know, definition it would be considered stalking, but it was, it was up there, but (laughs) thank gosh, whatever happened finally happened for goodness (laughs) sake. So I'm so happy that you're part of this because there really couldn't have been anybody else. It had to be you. And I just needed to learn some patience until you were ready. I really appreciate this conversation about business and you sharing your perspective because, as I said, I really feel like this could be so transformative for people if if we all just shifted our perspective just a little bit and understood that we're not in this alone, that we are all doing this together. So why not be collaborative? It's so simple and easy to do it that way. It is. Could be that easy. 
now that we've really shared of a completely different perspective on business, I'd like to change the conversation to something different. Boats. Boats. Okay. Yes, boats. This was something you talked about when we first met in San Francisco. You mentioned wanting to take a trip on rivers in a boat. And then just a month ago, I met some people on a plane who had taken that very trip. So I want to talk to you about what that is. So can you explain a little bit more what is this trip that you were talking about and and where is it? I was wondering if this was going to come up, but um, I have, my family has a farm on a lake in Canada and it is my utter happy place despite the last time I went there getting bit by a brown recluse spider, but that's another story. Uh, still a very wonderful, wonderful place. It's right on the lake. It's very secluded. And so I grew up, you know, boating on the lake and getting into going to these different docks through the lock system in Canada. And as you're in these locks, one, my family looks like they have never gone through a lock one time in their life. So if anybody boats, you'll know that you have to use a rope. You have to like hold the boat to the lock rope as the water goes up or down. And my family like falls in, like it's just like a mess every <laughs> single time we go. Though we've gone, we've gone a hundred times, like the... The lock guys always go, oh, is this your first time? And we're like, no, it's not our first time. <laughs> but anyway, uh, what's really awesome about these these lock stations in these areas is that you see these other people going through them and you get to have these very amazing conversations about with these people who come from all different places, all different walks of life, all different socioeconomic statuses. And they're all on this great venture and uh, on a boat going through uh, these different areas. And so this lock system actually leads to the St. Lawrence Seaway that leads to the Great Lakes that leads down the Mississippi River into and around Florida and up the intercoastal, uh, which is called the Great Loop. And I think it's one of these journeys and adventures in the United States that a lot of people don't talk about or know about because it's, uh, I don't know, but there's a whole I don't want to say cult, but there's a whole cult following to this adventure at some point in time. And what I love and what I think is magical about it is this, I can't imagine what it's like to live on a boat for like a year, um, but then also to see the country in such a different way, both Canada and, and the U.S., because um, you pass through all these different cities, all these different types of cultures throughout the the country. So uh, long, long-windedly, that's sort of the adventure that I'd love to go on one day and the reason why and I just am so excited about the picture of myself and whoever I'm with um, and, you know, drinking cocktails. They call it uh, docktails uh, <laughs> on this trip and have a drink at the end of the day and just meet all these different people in the loop that are doing it and like understanding where they're coming from and why they're why they're doing it. So it's a big people and and uh, uh, touring opportunity. Oh, yes. OK, now I'm remembering what it is. It's so interesting. And I hadn't thought about this for so long. So you met those people again that told me to go then, which is okay. Yes. Which is very interesting that I should have met them just a month ago. Would you mind talking a bit about why? What excites you about this? And why are you so drawn to this adventure or to this experience? Yeah. Um, 
I feel like it's like probably, you know, 5,000 different experiences in one year with so many different people. <laughs> um, but like for anyone who knows me, I lived out of a suitcase for two years when I started SMSC and just traveled around the United States. And that was one of my favorite parts of my life because I've met and learned so much from strangers in hotel bars. Like I've had the most exciting. That's where we met in San Francisco at the Hilton <laughs> we did. In, a, in a lobby. And what an amazing conversation and what came out of that. And I've just had so many different experiences like that. I just feel like the Great Loop could be one one big journey to have 5,000 of those different experiences of meeting people and learning from them and hearing where they're coming from and thinking about the philosophies of life and considering all of them. Is that what it is then that drives you? to want to do this, to examine life or to have a better understanding of life or the meaning of life? Or is it something else that you think is motivating you to want to go on this journey? Uh, I think human beings are so interesting and wonderful. I have the utmost faith in humanity despite all the noises that we are terrible, terrible things. Um, I don't believe that that's the case. I believe most people are good and doing such incredible things and I'm just really interested in learning about from all all angles and there's so many different things that people do and, and understand and yeah it's maybe that is I oh I need a vacation I haven't thought about this stuff for a while so you always bring out these types of conversations and I wasn't ready for that question that I probably should have been so no you weren't supposed to be ready for it that's why we talked about act for a really long time <laughs> <laughs> that way we could talk about this without anything in the way got me distracted that's right yeah that's right nice. i see how you do uh -huh. <laughs> always what is it about the boat the aspect of this being a boat is that part important i mean why not just drive around the country or fly around the country or do something else in order to meet people what is it about the boat itself that intrigues you or is enticing you? Well, you can drive anywhere. And most people don't just choose to go on a boat for a year throughout the country. And most people like, I just feel like you're experiencing it. Like, so Chicago, there's this beautiful river flowing through Chicago and that's part of the Great Loop. So wow. you're on and yeah, you're driving to Chicago. You can drive to Chicago. I've driven to Chicago. I've flown to Chicago. Great. I'm in Chicago. Love the city. Awesome. Walking around. But can you imagine the perspective of rolling into Chicago from that lake and looking at the city from the water angle? It's a wholly, totally different experience. It would be, yeah, completely different. Do you think that might be part of it then, this perspective change, that maybe what you're after is different perspectives, both from the boat itself and also from the conversations with people? Is there something in there that might be you know, important to you or resonate with you about needing and wanting to see different perspectives? Probably almost like a year-long study of like, the the heart of the U.S. and Canada in some way. Like it's the people and the places and 
boating there instead of flying there, driving there. It's just, it's just different just to be only focused on this adventure and that the, the, the conversations with those people and hearing and learning and experiencing. Um, yeah, there's definitely something there and why I want to do that. And it's certainly different than what I do every day. And it's like the legitimately the opposite of my current world. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, there's, I I would be excited at some point in time to get, to have that, that year to create that study. Cause I think it would also grow me in all of this work in the future, uh, too. Grow me, grow me isn't a proper term, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's not. <laughs> Seems all right. Enable, no? enable, enable me to grow. Oh, that's pretty wordy. Grow me is not all right? I don't know. Grow me sounded weird to me. Uh, I guess if I keep saying it a bunch, it sounds strange. <laughs> grow me, grow me. Yeah, weird. <laughs> Sorry, everybody listening, if you're still listening. Probably lost this a while ago at the gnome tent or gnome caverns. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> no. You've got so much wisdom to share. So then I have to ask, why are you waiting? Why aren't you doing it now? You've asked me this before. Um, so as soon as you asked me about boats, I knew this was coming, by the way. So not surprise. I'm not done doing what I'm doing yet. And I feel like I need to, I don't know when it's going to be. But I will know. And I want to keep the forward momentum going. And I'm building something that is not about me in growing SMSC to be a resilient organization that just builds upon itself, has the right structures, has the right people. And when that is, when that happens in the right time, it will be time, but it's not time yet. So um, there's, I'm just so driven every day to keep doing what I'm doing right now. I feel energized every day. And I feel like if I start to get to a place where I'm exhausted or just run down, I think that could also be a a signal that there needs to be a change, but Mm -hmm. we're not there right now. So I'm just so incredibly motivated to keep doing the amazing work and work with all these amazing people to, to see this change. And I think there's some urgency in this work right now too, that I don't want to leave too. Yeah, I get that then how do you nourish this part of you? Oh, because I don't. <laughs> Why not? Because I, I well, um, I, I preach balance to others and I have empathy for balance for others, but I do not balance myself. And I have a very, very focused in it energy right now. And I think it's necessary at the stage in which case all of the businesses that I'm working within are, but it's, it's to get to a place where there is significantly more balance in the future. And I'm okay for doing this right now. It's not going to be a forever way that I see it, but I have been encouraged by my partner and others to take care of myself. And so there is going to be a need for me to find the time to be able to go out in the woods and just have a think about what, how am I feeling about certain things and not just about work feelings, about feeling feelings. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't do that enough right now. And also it sounds like Talking to other people and getting these different perspectives is really important as well. So are you going to include that too? Or what do you do for that? I go to a lot of events and I talk to a lot of people and a lot of it doesn't come about work. I, I've 
just, I went to a women's leadership summit this past um, September and it was just incredible. I don't think I talked about work much at all during that, during that summit. I learned about people's nieces and their partners and their, you know, I don't know, it just seemed like a different space and different conversation. There was some work talk, but it was more about who people were. And so I do get that as part of my, my travels and my adventures for work. Um, and it always comes out, but it's not the, the sole focus, obviously. Well, it makes sense that it always comes out because it's so clearly part of you. It's so clearly something that you can't help but do is talk to people and learn all these different perspectives and reflect them back. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I legitimately love people. <laughs> and I really, uh, I can always tell when there is a conversation that is energy sucking. And I hate those conversations, those, those folks that you talk to and they just are coming from a place of, you know, either greed or a lack of integrity or accusation. They're not there to listen. They're not there to learn. They're just coming to that meeting or a conversation with something that is energy sucking. And that kills me. I get so affected by that. But I also, that is, you know, 10% of my conversations, 20% sometimes. The rest are soul-feeding liberating conversations of momentum and excitement that fill my cup. And so, uh, yeah, I definitely get it. But there's definitely, you know, some conversations that are not like that. It sounds like it's reciprocal, though, that your excitement and enthusiasm and all that you're getting from these conversations, you're also giving to the people you're speaking with. And so there's this beautiful gift that you're able to give to people. And it's just, it's occurring to me, you know, the first part of this conversation, we talked about all the amazing things you're giving to the world through SMSC and through mindful materials. And now here you are talking about what you're giving to the world on this very personal, very individualized basis every time you go out of your house probably also in your house with the people who live there. This gift of, of allowing people to be seen and heard and really being present with what they have to share, their experience and valuing that is tremendous. And it's incredible. You're such a gift to this world. Thank you, Al. It's very, very meaningful and uh, impactful coming from you. So thanks. It's the truth. But yeah, it is, uh, you know, you don't really think about it that way, but why approach a conversation as an asshole? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and that's all it is. It's like, oh, so, you know, somebody says something and you can always grab onto it and say, oh, so tell me about your kids. It's like, oh, you love to do this. I'll, you know, it's, that's all I do. It's really not that hard. It's just talking to people. <laughs> That's what you've been saying about everything. It's really not that hard. <laughs> okay. I mean, sure. It's on principle, it's not that hard, but it's also not necessarily that easy to always step outside of yourself and look to see what does somebody else have to offer that I can learn from. That mindset is very, very rare, and it takes a lot of openness, a lot of vulnerability, and 
and really a curiosity mindset to be able to do that for other people. So thank you. I so appreciate you. You're welcome. And I appreciate all of yours as well, because it feels it's a usually beneficial cup filling uh, in those conversations. I'm actually now going to have like a next conversation where this happens and I'm just going to picture like cups in souls being filled while I'm having that conversation. And <laughs> it's perfect. Funny to me because nobody else will understand it, but <laughs> I'll call you and I'll tell you when that happens next. So <laughs> it's a perfect image. That's exactly what it is. Just us giving back to each other constantly and what an amazing place this world would be. Well, how nice would it feel? If this is just how we interacted with each other. Wow. What a powerful way the world would work. Mm-hmm. And also recognizing like everybody has shit and it's not always possible to do that. And, you know, again, empathy about, oh, that person really is having a hard time. Can't fill cups because their cup's really empty. Or their cup's put away. It's just not out. Yeah. Yeah, their cup's in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Wow. Thank you so much for sharing this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I didn't really totally know where we were going to go today, but I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation. I appreciate you and this podcast and the community that you've created at Migraine Lab and what's to come with all of this. And so appreciate you as a friend. Uh, You're amazing. And I'm so excited about what you're doing now and bringing your light to the world as well. So thank you. Thank you, Annie. That means so much. Thank you. Big hugs. Oh, hug, hug. (laughs) I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye, Annie.